Now you may be seated. Please listen to God's holy and inerrant word. This comes from Luke 13, 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bring you these tithes and offerings not to earn your love, but because we are loved in Jesus. We give these out of gratitude for you giving your son Jesus for us. And so we pray that you would use these gifts to advance your kingdom and your gospel in this world. And Father, even as we prepare now to come before your word, to sit beneath your word, we pray that your kingdom would be advanced in our own hearts and that your gospel would be proclaimed to us. We pray that you would stoop and that by your spirit you would meet us where we are. That you would meet us in our joy, that you would meet us in our anxiety, in our anger, in our bitterness, in our comfort, in our sorrow, in our triumph, in our poverty, in all the various contradictions that make up who we are. Father, we pray that you would meet us where we are and that by your spirit that you would reveal to us that despite what we may have felt when we walked in these doors this morning that we really are all the same because we are all far, far more broken than we could ever imagine. And so we all stand in need of the same thing, whether we come in here with joy in our hearts or bitterness in our hearts or worrying or afraid. We all need to know the love of Jesus. We need to know that it can be true that we can be far more broken than we could even imagine, but because of what Jesus has done, in that same moment, we are also far more loved and far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. And so we pray that you would help us this morning to see this good news with the eyes of faith, to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Invite the children ages 3 to 6 to be, to be dismissed to the back of the sanctuary for Children's Church at this time. Um, 
We are continuing this morning our series through Luke's Gospel. We're in Luke's Gospel, and we've been looking throughout Luke's Gospel at the stories that Jesus told about His kingdom. So each week we've been looking at one of the parables that Jesus told and that Luke records for us. And this morning, we have a very unique passage in Luke chapter 13 that Steve read for us earlier. Um, Because if you look at that passage, when you read it through one time, you think, okay, Jesus is talking about repentance here. You know, it's pretty clear. Um, But then you read it through a second time, And you find yourself thinking, what in the world is Jesus saying about repentance here? Um, This is weird. You know, I mean, people are murdered and towers are falling on people. And then Jesus started talking about repentance and fruit on fig trees. You know, what in the world? It's it's kind of a strange passage. Um, One that, you know, a number of times this very week, I thought, why did I decide to preach through the parables? Um, but, but I think that what we'll find here in this passage, I think we'll find some immense help um, and immense practical application for our lives. Um, but I want to start like this. Um, and I want to avoid trying to uh, break down into history lesson here. But when a German monk named Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 theses on the Wittenberg church door, it sparked the Protestant Reformation, right? And uh, the the theses that Luther posted on that door, they were Luther's way of really trying to start a conversation. Uh, A conversation about returning to Scripture, right? Of letting God's Word, not tradition, form and shape the doctrine and the practice of the church. And, you see, returning to the Bible like that, it led to a rediscovery of the good news of the gospel, right? And, and you know, when that happened, the church was revitalized and reawakened. A sleeping giant was awakened, right? And it did far more than just transform individuals' lives. I mean, that the power of the gospel was such that it shaped societies, and it shaped nations, and it shaped culture itself. But listen, I want you to hear how Luther began these 95 theses, how that revolutionary, eventually society and culture-changing document that was posted to the Wittenberg church door began. Luther started with this statement. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire life of the believer, to be one of repentance. And that statement, I think, gets real close to what Jesus is saying about repentance in this passage. We're going to have to dig a little bit to see it, but Jesus is saying that no matter what happens in your life, if circumstances are terrible or if they are pleasant, if they're bad or if they're good, The right way, Jesus is saying, to process everything that comes into your life is through repentance. Another way to say it is this. Repentance is always the right move for you and for me. Repentance, it is the gate 
and the key to everything you most deeply want in life. Repentance is the key to stability and strength. It is the way to freedom. It is the way to deep joy in your life. Repentance is the gate to a humility that is full of confidence. It's the key to daring boldness and transformative love. The way to greatness comes through repentance. So I want us to work our way through this passage to see just how Jesus tells us that repentance is always the right move. And I want us to see three things this morning. Here are the three points. Our aversion to repentance, the nature of repentance, and the time for repentance. Our aversion to repentance, the nature of repentance, and the time for repentance. So first, our aversion to repentance. You know, In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Mark says that Jesus, he launched his public ministry by saying this. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Why is it that Jesus is constantly telling us throughout the gospels to repent? At least one reason has to be this that none of us are naturally inclined towards repentance. We have to be told to do it by Jesus. Look, whatever repentance is, and we'll get more to that in the second point, Jesus realizes that we are naturally averse to it. We are not inclined towards repentance, right? And here's why. There is something deep in our hearts. There is a deep hunger in our hearts for control and for credit in our lives. And because of that, when your life is turning out poorly and things are not going well, right? When bad things are happening with your kids or in your marriage or in your career or in your relationships, nobody has to tell you. You instinctively think to yourself, what have I done wrong? And, And listen, when good things happen to you, you think it's about time, (laughs) you know, Your heart rushes to take credit for it, right? The reason their kids are turning out that way and our kids are turning out this way is because we did this parenting thing right. And, you know, the reason they're struggling and going through such difficulty in their business or or their home is because they didn't do it right and we did it right, right? See, this is how, this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is how we naturally process and filter life, good or bad. Things go bad, and God seems distant, and prayers don't seem to be being answered, right? And our children are rebelling, and people are angry with us, and we think, I must have done something wrong. And things go well, and people are approving of us, right? And we've got the Midas touch, it seems, and everything's turning into gold around us, right? And our children are turning out well, and they're dating good people, and all that kind of stuff. And as Frank Underwood um, you know who that, the, the character in the House of Cards, uh, popular series on Netflix, anyway. Um, as he says, we start to think good things happen to good people. You know, superior results in life, that must stem from superior character, right? In this story that we have in Luke chapter 13, these people came to Jesus and they were seeking to process life, Right? What they're doing here is they're going through some current events in the news of that day, right? Pilate had sent his soldiers, right, 
to catch some of his political enemies off guard, these Galileans, right? And so he sent his soldiers to catch them at a time when they would be least expecting it. They were offering sacrifices in the temple when Pilate's soldiers fell on them swiftly and violently, right? And so their blood mixed or mingled with the blood of the very sacrifices they were offering. That's what we're told in verse 1. A terrible atrocity. And then Jesus brought up this other tragic event in verse 4, where the Tower of Siloam, this tower that most scholars think is on the southeastern wall of Jerusalem, where it fell, and when it fell, it killed 18 people, right? And it wasn't an act of violence, but a providence. And a tower, that tower fell, and it took the lives of 18 people, a terrible tragedy. And to each of these catastrophes, Jesus asked the same basic question. Do you think the people who were murdered or the people who had the tower fall on them were worse sinners than you? You see what Jesus is responding to there, right? Things are going very, very bad for these other people, Jesus. That must mean that they're getting what they deserve, right? And things are going very well for us, Jesus. That must mean we're a little bit better, right? And each time Jesus asked the question... He answered it in verse 3 and verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, let's just deal with the fact here that Jesus said no. Right? He, He was saying, don't you dare. Don't you dare look at someone's life and upon seeing tragedy and difficulty and suffering and bad things happen. Don't you dare look at that person. And assume that it's the consequence of sin, right? And bad character on their part, that they're worse off than you. And listen to this. At the same time, Jesus was saying, don't you dare look at yourself and seeing comfort and smooth sailing and lack of difficulty think it's a result of your good character and the good choices you've made in this life. But that is exactly what we do, isn't it? That's exactly what we do. We naturally process life, right, by looking at our resumes and comparing them to everyone else's resumes. We are averse to repentance, I'm telling you, because we are obsessed with resume checking. You know, this past week, I was speaking at uh, Rhodes College here in Memphis, and I was trying to communicate the uniqueness of the gospel, right? And I don't know if I did it that well, but... I did use this idea of a resume on on these students because certainly they understood, Rhodes College students understand the importance of a resume, right? Um, I didn't apply to Rhodes because I knew my resume would never get me into Rhodes. Um, But, you know, Rhodes College never approached me for admittance. I couldn't have been accepted, but they knew how it worked, right? The GPAs, the ACT scores, right? The extracurricular activities and the references from the right people that they all had listed on on their applications. That's how the world works, isn't it, we would say? My resume is what tells me if I'm good enough or if I'm less than, if I'm special enough or if I'm not good enough, if I'm a cut above or if I'm less than. And Jesus says to all of that, he says, no. And do you know why? Because he is saying that no matter what is on your resume, we all deserve towers to fall on us. 
that they, that they might not be falling on you right now at this moment is all of grace, Jesus is saying, and has nothing to do with your resume. Okay, let's move on. So we're naturally averse to repentance, right? It doesn't square with our resume checking inclinations. But second, we need to consider the nature of repentance. What in the world is repentance? And you hear, the problem here is that almost all of us misunderstand repentance. So what is it really? What is the nature of repentance? Well, I want to start this point by telling you what repentance is not. Okay? Let me t- tell you, first of all, that repentance is not psychological. Okay? You, you know, it, it isn't about self-loathing and shame. And that's what some of us think. When Jesus says repent, that must mean I have to hate myself. That is not repentance at all. And others of us think that repentance is emotional. You know, it's all about how I feel. Do we feel guilty enough? Do we feel wrong enough? Do we feel sad enough? Whatever. That is not repentance. And still others of us think that repentance is about activity, right? So not psychological or emotional, but volitional. The things we do. And so we think repentance is about stopping to do the wrong, doing the wrong things and starting to do the right things. That's not repentance either. And let me tell you, not only do all of those views miss what the Bible says about the nature of repentance, but all of those ways that you've tried to repent, they have created horrible dysfunction in your lives. But even more than that, and I wish we had time to go into detail on that, but even more than that, those views of repentance, they really perpetuate a cycle of avoiding real repentance in your life. Because you know all of those people. I mean, you can see yourself in it, truthfully. That look how much I hate myself. Look how guilty and how sad I feel. Look at all the things I used to do and the things I do now. And if, and if things don't go well in your life, you start thinking like this. I must not be sad enough. I must not feel guilty enough. You know, I, I must not be hating myself enough. I must not be doing enough. Same song, same dance to a different religious tune. It's really resume checking to a different tune. And some of you here, this is why Christianity makes you recoil, right? Because you can see through it to see the same thing, different tune, right? Christianity is just a different spin on what everyone does. But what I want to show you in this point is that that isn't Christianity. None of that is what Jesus is talking about when he says repent. What Jesus is talking about is far deeper than that and far more radical than that. To figure out what repentance is, you really need to figure out what the essence of sin is. Because, see, listen to me. The lying and the lust, right? The greed and the workaholism. The hatred and the pride, the dishonesty and the backbiting gossip that you engage in. Those are symptoms of sin. What lies underneath all of that is the essence of sin. And let me take this one step further here. Even obedience and law keeping and morality can also be symptoms of this. Lying underneath the conformity and the obedience you will often find. The essence of sin. You know, think back with me to Genesis, you know, the story in the garden, right? When Adam and Eve fell into that first sin, what was at the heart of Satan's temptation in the Garden of Eden? It was this if you just take that fruit, then you will be like God. 
right? God is holding out on you. You can be the one in control. You can call the shots. You can be your own Lord and Savior. And that is what lies underneath all the symptoms of our sin. That is why you're always checking your resume and everyone else's. You and I are deeply hungry for control and for credit. We deeply want to be our own lords and saviors in this life. Look, when... When my family, before we lived here, we lived in Starkville, Mississippi, and we had this little 1,300-square-foot house, right? And we started having these plumbing problems in our house. And at first, the washing machine at one end of our house, it was backing up and overflowing, right? And then it started moving down our house, and then the kitchen sink started backing up, and then the bathtub in the hallway started backing up. It was just these plumbing problems were creeping their way down our house. And I spent so much money on Drano. I was putting Drano in those, those pipes all the time, right? And eventually we had to give up and call a plumber. And so the plumber came over. And the next thing I know is that there are a bunch of backhoes in my backyard and trench cutters and jackhammers. And they're tearing up my patio and they're cutting trenches in my backyard, right? And... And then I got a nice $6,000 bill. Um, See, that plumber knew that all the Drano in the world wasn't going to fix my plumbing, right? The house had, had settled, and the main plumbing line that was running through my house, it had flattened, and so it wouldn't ever drain properly unless what was underneath the house was fixed, right? And so he had to go underneath it and tear up my backyard, which I was mad about. But, um, you know, what lies underneath... What I'm saying is what lies underneath all your lust and all your greed and all your lying, it's really an effort on your part to gain love, to gain security, to gain value, to gain approval. In a broken world, you and I, we are grasping at anything and everything to try and save ourselves. You know, what lies beneath your workaholism, right, your pride, your judgmental spirit, and your hatred, it's really an effort in your life to gain power, to gain significance, to mitigate your feelings of insecurity. You're trying to be your own savior, or at least you're turning everything around you into your functional saviors. And yes, what so often lies underneath even our obedience and our morality and our law-keeping is our effort to be our own saviors and lords. You know, to prove that we're good enough. To prove that we're okay. To prove that we're lovable. You know, to psychologically shame yourself. You know, to, to try to feel bad enough or, or to attempt to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. This is what I'm telling you. It's like pouring Drano down the sink when your backyard needs to be torn up and the plumbing replaced. You go find a Greek dictionary and you'll see that the word that Jesus uses in this passage for repent, it means to turn. Or it means to change directions, right? But Jesus isn't saying turn from doing bad things to doing right things. He is saying go down to the bottom of your heart and change your allegiances. He is saying dig underneath and turn from your functional saviors. Turn from all your efforts to be your own savior. Turn from them and turn to Jesus Repent and believe the gospel, Jesus says. You need new plumbing, is what Jesus is saying. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, finally, 
Let's try and dial in on some application in this last point. The time for repentance. You know, my main point from the moment that we started was to say to you that repentance is always the right move in your life. It doesn't matter if things are going poorly or things are going well in your life. Repentance is always the right move. That the way to process everything in your life is through repentance. Now that's true. But I want you to think with me in this pa- uh, through this passage. And I want you to think about who Jesus is talking to. Who is Jesus talking to in this passage? He is talking to the people that Pilate didn't fall upon in vengeance. He is talking to people that the tower didn't fall upon. He is talking to people who are not in the moment experiencing trouble. People who aren't dealing with uh, catastrophes and atrocities and tragedies. This is what makes this passage really unique, you see. Because there are a lot of places in the Bible. There are a lot of places for you to go and find comfort when you are hurt when you are in pain, when you are suffering, when you are facing loss in this life. This just isn't one of those places. This is spoken to those people who are able to make their mortgage payments on their home on time. This is spoken to those people whose retirement accounts right now are receiving a very good interest rate. This is spoken to people whose kids' lives are not falling apart and who are dating all the right people. You know, this is spoken to those whose spouses, for the most part, love them. It's spoken to those who are liked by their peers. One preacher said, you know, when you go through smooth patches in life, you are in very dangerous territory spiritually. There is no greater spiritual crisis than to not have a crisis in your life. There is no greater trial than to not have any trials in your life. Times of security, times of comfort, times of pleasure, times of safety, those are very, very dangerous times, according to Jesus. I mean, think about it. Isn't this interesting? Jesus says, when you are achieving, when you're getting the life you dreamed about, when you're paying off cars and homes on time, when your kids are turning out well and people are liking and approving you, this is a very, very important time for you to repent. See, if the essence of sin is taking control and credit in your life and trying to be your own Lord and Savior, when will you be most likely to do that? Not when you're frustrated or disappointed or suffering or when you're hitting the bottom and life is falling apart. You will be most tempted to do that when you're on top when you're reaching your goals, when things are working out and you're getting ahead and life is comfortable, when it feels like you've got everything under control. That's when Jesus says you need to repent. When you need to turn from trusting yourself or whatever else is in your life and trust Jesus. The self-righteousness that keeps you in the resume checking game, right? that makes it easy for you to look down on those who are going through rough patches in life. It blooms and it flowers and blossoms during times of safety, comfort, pleasure, and security. You know, this is a series on, on parables, and we've said so little about this parable so far. Um, a guy named Eugene Peterson, he wrote the parables were like time bombs that Jesus placed in people's lives. 
and unprotected hearts, he writes. They seem so not threatening, right? I mean, fig trees and vineyards and stuff like that. Who's going to be offended by that? Peterson wrote this. A parable keeps the message at a distance. It slows down comprehension. It blocks automatic prejudicial reactions, dismantles stereotypes. A parable comes upon the listener obliquely, on the slant. Jesus is saying that you're a fig tree. And God is looking for repentance. That is the sweet fruit that He is looking for in your life. And when after three years of looking, He says He found no fruit, He wanted to cut it down. And someone interceded and basically said, let me get aggressive in taking care of it. You know, dig around it and put fertilizer on it and all that kind of stuff. Let's give it one more chance to bear fruit. And listen, I don't want you to hear me saying that that isn't patience on the part of the gardener or the vineyard keeper or whatever. But the point of the parable is a warning to us. And it sneaks up on us obliquely on the slant. Right, a scholar whose name I cannot pronounce. um, Maybe you looker, I don't know. Anyway, he says that this parable, I can read his book, I just can't read his name. He says that this parable is getting across Paul's point in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, which is this. That it is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. Jesus is saying here, I have been pouring out my kindness upon you. And now I'm going to get aggressively kind in your life. And he's saying, and if that won't lead you to repentance... I will come and cut you down. Sneaky little parables, right? Don't wait until you feel like you need to repent. Is what Jesus is saying. Because you need to repent. Whether you feel like it or not. The people in this story, they didn't feel like they needed to repent. Towers weren't falling on them. Their blood wasn't being spilt. And Jesus says, repent now. You are in the danger zone of my kindness to you. Okay, let me close with two very specific points of application. Um, One for those who are wondering if they should repent, and one for those wondering how to repent. First, we've been looking at the parables each week, and if you've been here the past few weeks, we've seen that Jesus has a lot to say in the Gospels about money and wealth. And at one point, I threw this statistic out to you that if you make $50,000 or more, whether you know it or not or feel like it or not, You are in the wealthiest 1% of people who live on the face of the earth. You are wealthy, right? And hearing all of that talk about wealth, you know, I'm wondering, you know, maybe I'll put it like this. Is the relative comfort and security and safety that you are feeling in this life and the privilege that you're enjoying, is it leading you to repentance in your life? I know it's so easy for us to instinctively run to our resumes because that is what we're like naturally. And so when I say that, naturally you want to say back to me, but I earned it. But tell me this, why were you born an American and not an Ethiopian? Why do you have the health you have? Why did you get the opportunities to be educated that you got? Why did you get the opportunities in business that seemed to just fall in your lap and the right doors seemed to open? 
that wasn't because you earned it. Right? Jesus is saying the only reason towers aren't falling on you is my grace. If when you got that that last raise or that last bonus and you thought to yourself, it's about time. You you are checking your resume. You're avoiding the repentance Jesus is seeking to lead you to in his kindness. Dig underneath. There is no more important time for you to repent than when God is blessing you and giving you good things in this life. And second, for those of you who are wondering how to repent, think back to the garden, right? And the essence of sin to grab control and become our own lords and saviors. It flowers and it blooms with the seeds of suspicion, doesn't it? Right? That God is holding out on you. Right? You've got to take the control. There are good things that God is trying to keep from you. He's not being as good to you as he could possibly be. So you've got to take control. How can you repent when fear and suspicion like that guides you in life? Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. And the gospel is proof positive that God is not holding out on you. That he gave you his own son. And the falling tower that all of us deserve to have fall upon us. It fell upon Him at the cross. Justice for all the sin, the ways we have tried to usurp God's role, right? For all the symptoms of sin, the lying, the hatred, yes, but also the law-keeping and the obedience that we've used to pad our resumes. He who had the spotless resume, He took the falling tower in your place and in mine. Turn from all your other saviors because I can promise this about all your other saviors. They will demand that you die in order to get them. This is the only Savior who died to get you. Listen, when the truth of that settles into your heart, when life goes well, you can only be humbled. And when life starts to fall apart, if you know this, you will know that you are still loved and valued and significant in the eyes of the King of the Kings. It will create within you incredible strength and stability. It will bring joy into your life and it will set you free from the need to check your resume. And it will lead you in constant, lifelong repentance. And do you know why? It's because Jesus is saying here, you can't have His grace until you see that you don't deserve it. But this is also true. You can't handle the truth of how broken you really are. Until you see the unbelievable patience, kindness, and grace of Jesus. Come as you are to the King of Kings and learn what it means that you are far more broken than you could ever imagine. But in Jesus, you are far more loved than you could have ever dreamed possible. Let's pray together. Father, we... Thank you for even the difficult and hard places of your word. We thank you for even in these difficult places, you draw us to look upon Jesus for everything. To turn away from our resumes, good or bad. To turn away from them and to rest in Jesus. Father, I pray that 
we would not trample your kindness under our feet, but that your kindness poured out to us would indeed lead us to repentance. That we would turn away from our own efforts to be our Lords and Saviors. That we would turn away from everything that we are looking to in our lives as functional Saviors. That we would turn from them and believe the good news of the Gospel. That Jesus was given for us. That the tower that we deserve to have fall upon our heads, it fell upon Him. So that in Him, we might get the life we did not deserve. And so that we would understand that everything that comes into our lives is of Your grace. Lead us in Your kindness, we pray, to deeper and deeper repentance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.